guys can be seated. Thank you so much, Aubrey. Um, my name is Anthony. If you're joining us for the first time or joining online, I'm pastor of Fellowship Church. It's good to be with you today. Um, I'm glad that you chose to come join us uh, in the summer. This month of August, people are like, we've got to do all we can before fall starts. And so I'm thrilled that you're with us here at church. I'm thrilled if you're watching online, if you're home um, sick or you're home being cautious or you're vacationing. Thank you for joining us. Um, my brother-in-law, one of our elders, Mike Yoder, he spoke last week and he did a great job. Uh, I had the privilege of speaking to our church in Oklahoma City, had a great time there. God is doing some really good things there. If you could be praying for our church community in Oklahoma City, they're going to be starting youth group in the next two weeks. And uh, it's a big deal for them as they take that next step of faith and um, had a kind of a vision and planning meeting uh, with our community there. And it was really exciting last week. And so I'm excited to see what God is doing there. Um, we've got some, some exciting things coming up. I know Tim mentioned some announcements, but um, we do something in the fall here called Vision Weekends. And so this fall on September the 12th, the 19th, and the 26th, we're having three Vision Sundays. Uh, we have some church family that attend our church online or in house churches uh, around the country are going to be coming in over the course of those three weeks to just celebrate and worship with us. And the first weekend and the last weekend of Vision Weekends are just going to be big worship celebration weekends. And so it's going to be very short messages, but just all out go for it worship. So kind of like a worship night, but on Sunday morning in our Sunday evening service. And then that middle week, we're going to be kind of laying out some direction for the year, asking you to join us in some of the things that we're doing, uh, asking you to get involved and to get connected so we can continue to move forward as a church during the season. So those are some things coming up. Um, on Saturday, September the 18th, though, Saturday, September the 18th, we have an all-church work day. And so we just ask, if you call Fellowship Church home, um, we expect you to be there to help. So September the 18th, we're going to be meeting uh, starting at 9 a.m., Kind of just you can come as you are able to during the day. Starting next week, we're going to have some sign-up sheets for that workday. There already is sign-up and has been for a while on our app. That's FC Online if you want to sign up for the workday. Uh, I'm meeting with a couple people tonight during our after party to kind of have a game plan of what we're going to be doing uh, for this workday. Uh, but if you could bring um, leaf blowers, if you could bring uh, push brooms. I've been telling people, bring pressure washers, but I realize I think we only have two spigots, so we can only have two. So somebody bring a pressure washer <laughs> because we can't have a bunch. But we need pressure washers. We're going to pressure wash the building, uh, do some touch-up painting, painting, reorganizing, moving stuff around. And so uh, just come prepared to serve, and we'll have a good time and uh, enjoy each other's company. So uh, we are in a, a series, and we've only got three weeks left. We're in this series that's called Eli. We're looking at the life of Elijah and Elisha, uh, two great prophets and men of God from the book of First and Second Kings. And uh, Elijah and Elisha were prophets who had a special anointing, a special power, mantle, position of authority that they were called to confront the worship of the false god Baal uh, in the northern kingdom of Israel in the 8th century B.C. So around 700 years before Jesus, um, these men were confronting uh, powers and authorities and kings and queens and rulers against their worship of Baal, calling them to repentance, calling them to follow Yahweh, the God of creation, the God of Israel, uh, the God of the Bible, the God of Christianity, calling them to serve and worship God and not Baal. And so we walked through the life of Elijah um, until he was taken up by God into heaven, and for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the life now of Elisha, his protege. Uh, Elijah handed that position, that mantle, that authority, the power to his protege, Elisha. And we've been looking at his exploits. We talked about his um, fact of him being bald and bears and boys. We talked about uh, last weekend, uh, Mike Yoder, he talked about Elisha, by the power of God, healing uh, the Syrian general Naaman. And I hope you enjoyed that message. And so this week, we're going to pick up right and immediately after the account we looked at last week. And I want to speak to you today from the topic called um, Get Your Axe Back. Get Your Axe Back. How many of you used Axe Body Spray before in high school, junior high, as an adult, in your 30s? 
I stopped when I turned 40. I'm like, I'm too old for this stuff. And so um, get your axe back. Or um, a better way to call this message is get your groove back. How many of you have lost your groove before and you got it back? Or uh, we'll call this finally, this is the final title for the message today is get your edge back. I'll talk to you today about getting your edge back. So turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, 2 Kings 6, 1 through 4. If you have our app, this will be on the app. It'll be on the screens behind me. If you're watching online, it will be right in front of your face. So 2 Kings 6, 1 through 4, it says, Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See, the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan River, and each of us get there a log. That is the strangest way to phrase that in English. Let's each of us get there a log. What they mean is let's chop down some trees. Let's chop down some trees, and let's make a place for us to dwell there. And so Elisha answers the sons of the prophets. He says, go. Then one of the sons of the prophets said, be pleased to go with your servants. And Elisha answered, I will go. Elisha was a man of few words. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan River, they cut down trees. Yesterday, um, I just have to brag about my, my manhood for a moment. Um, I helped someone cut down trees in my, in my front yard yesterday. And uh, my friend uh, Tyler and I, some of you know my friend Tyler, we, we cut down this probably about a uh, 11 to 12 foot tall Japanese maple we cut down, and we put it in a wood chipper. And that tree was like in five seconds just disappeared. It was amazing. I'm like, I want to buy a wood chipper just for a hobby. I'm like, get whatever we can out of the house because I want to watch everything go through this. Like, get the couch. It's just amazing. You ever seen a wood chipper in action before? Pretty cool stuff. I'm like, Tyler, how can I buy one of these? He's like, it's $40,000. I'm like, never mind. I don't, I don't need one that bad. I need food instead. We, my family needs to eat. We don't need a wood chipper. Uh, and so they, they're cutting down trees. Now, who, who are these sons of the prophets? Well, they've shown up about four times in this story so far with Elijah and Elisha, and the sons of the prophets are, are just simply what we'll call like um, prophets in training. They are um, disciples of prophets. They're young prophets, kind of like serving the prophets. You could call them the prophets' servants. They are learning to be prophets themselves. And so these sons of the prophets, they're being trained by Elisha, and they're like, Elisha, we need somewhere to sleep. What we have is not big enough. And so we're going to go to the Jordan River where there are some trees. We're going to cut some trees down. We're going to build somewhere for us to live. And we don't know if they're going to be building like a, a, a lodge or a dorm or individual houses or some sort of a prophet school. We don't know exactly what we're, they're building, but we know that they're building a place for them to live. They're going to chop down some trees. And so the one son of the prophet is like, Elisha, I know that you don't have to go with us, but we'd like you to go with us while we're doing this work. And Elisha says, yeah, I will go. And so talking about getting your axe back, your groove back, your edge back. How many of you uh, have ever lost something before? You ever lose something in your life? Uh, for me, um, there are like some go-to things that I always lose. But last week, um, I lost my AirPods charger. I lost my favorite book, and I lost an Apple Pencil all in the course of three days. Yes, it is true. I'm getting forgetful in my old age. So losing things. Uh, the go-to things that I lose at least once a week, I lose my wallet. I've never lost my wallet fully. I've always found it. At least once a week, I lose my keys. And at least once a week, I lose my sunglasses. Any of you guys just lose stuff all the time? Um, sunglasses are probably the thing I lose the most and just never recover. But the ultimate thing I lose are these water bottles. Uh, I lose one of these at least every other week. And this particular one, Kara lost, actually. I think it's Kara's water bottle because it has just a slight taste of coffee in it when it's supposed to taste like water. And if it sat for a day, it's like, whoa, this is not good. Um, so, yeah, I steal water bottles, I lose water bottles, and um, 
I, I look for people who've lost water bottles so I can take it, and then I can lose theirs, and it's just this endless, wonderful cycle. And so whenever I lose something, the Lord blesses me. He makes sure that one of you loses one so I can take it. So we lose stuff. Uh, last night, my, it, it's amazing having a kid who can drive, and so I sent my son to go run an errand for us, and I ran our, another errand, but he lost his wallet and his keys, and he was like, where are they? And we asked him some of the dumbest questions that we always ask when something is lost. Where did you put it last? Well, if I knew, I wouldn't be lost, would it? You ever ask dumb questions when something gets lost? Like, do you remember where you used it last? Well, yeah, and I would have it if I remembered. Where did you see it? When was the last time you used it? Where do you think it is? Oh, wow, thank you for asking that because I didn't think that before. Where do I think it is? But you know what the crazy thing about that is? Somehow that actually works. Somehow it actually works so that when someone asks you, where did you see it last? All of a sudden you're like, oh, I all of a sudden remember. Where you didn't remember before. There's some scientific reasons to that we don't have time to get into, but it's fascinating that somebody asking you actually helps you find the thing that you have lost. Um, sometimes in, in my house we will lose something collectively, like a remote control. Um, how many of you have an Apple TV? Apple TV has the world's smallest remote control. You lose, lose a remote control. Maybe you lose, like, you know, the money that your family needs or something like that. And uh, my wife isn't here today, so I'll tell you a little secret about her. Don't tell her, even though she's watching right now online. Pray that I can come home. Um, some, sometimes uh, we've lost something in our home, and really I'm the one who's lost it. And my wife I'm like, where did this go? I don't know. Like, where? I, and, and we'll go days sometimes looking for something, and I'll find it, and I won't tell her. And I'll put it in her purse. I don't do it anymore because I can't. This is where the charade ends. But I'll put it in her purse or, like, on the seat next to her in her car and be like, hey, have you seen that lately? She's like, it's the strangest thing. I've looked all week, and... It was just in my purse. I'm like, praise Jesus. It showed up. God's good. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. It has been found. Kill the fattened calf. Throw a party. Put a ring on his finger. The, the son is returned. And so don't tell anybody that I do that. Um, but it is a good trick to play in marriage. If you're, if you're just exploring the idea of marriage, this is, builds relationships real well. It, it's, it's a good trick. So sometimes we lose stuff. Um, but how many of you have ever lost something important, like a wedding ring before? I've done that. Um, I was playing football uh, in a swimming pool, and threw the football, and the ring just went flying off. And so I spent the time looking for the wedding ring. How many of you have lost, like, a family heirloom? Like, man, this is important for our family. Whatever the heirloom is, you, you can't find it. Or you've lost, like, a lot of money. Any of you lost money before? Literally had, like, a, a big check you couldn't find? Your paycheck you needed to pay rent you can't find. I've lost all of those things. Um, but how many of you as a parent, you've ever lost your kid before? Like, and even if you're like, no, my, my child's never been missing. I think most parents, if you've got a kid that's over the age of five, you probably lost them for like at least one second, and it felt like an eternity. Like you're going through the grocery store, you, you go down the aisle, and you turn around, they're gone, and that feeling is just like, like, you completely feels like your heart falls out of your chest. You ever had that experience before? Lose a kid, lose a pet, lose something important. So I want to look at the incident we're, we're speaking of today. We're just going to call this the incident. Here's the incident. Verse 5 through 7 of 2 Kings 6. So they're chopping down trees. They're building a new house. It says, but as one of the men was felling a log, this is not King James, by the way. As one of the men is cutting down a tree, falling a tree, it says his axe head fell into the water. And he cried out, alas, my master, what I always cry out when I lose something, alas, my master, it was borrowed. That's a weird thing to call out, but this is an expensive tool. You know, an axe in the Iron Age an axe head made of iron would have been a very pricely possession. And so as he's swinging, the axe head flies off, and he's like, ah, oh, it's not even mine. I borrowed it. 
And when you lose something that you have borrowed or you wreck something that you've borrowed or you break something that you've borrowed, it feels worse than something that you have yourself. And so he's like, I got to return this axe head to the person that loaned it to me, and I can't. And so it says in verse number six, then the man of God said, this is Elisha. He asks the stupid question that we all ask when someone loses something. He says, where did it fall? Well, Elisha, if I knew where it fell, obviously it wouldn't be lost. But Elisha asked the question. And so the man showed Elisha the place where the axe head fell. And Elisha does what we would all do in this circumstance. And we're about to learn that the axe head wasn't just, you know, lost. It's in the water. It's under the water. It's in the Jordan River. And of course, this is what we would all do. It says, Elisha cut off a stick and threw it into the river, and he made the iron float. How many of you, that's your go-to move when something's lost? Just throw a stick in the water. And he throws the stick in the water. And this is one of the most bizarre stories in Scripture. The iron axe head floats to the top. And Elisha says to the man, pick it up, take it up, get it. And so the man reached out his hand and grabbed hold of the axe head. So it's clear from this account that the man could not see the axe head under the water. And you have to ask, well, why is that? Well, first of all, the Jordan River is gross now and then. Um, it is incredibly muddy and murky. You would not be able to see what was underneath the water. Uh, my friend Adam and I uh, were in Israel a couple years ago, and uh, Adam and my wife actually baptized me in the Jordan River. And I was also baptizing some people that were with us. And I was baptizing in the Jordan River this 85-year-old man um, wearing this cute little white baptismal robe that they sold there for like a dollar to get baptized in the Jordan River. And while I'm baptizing him, my toe starts throbbing and hurting. And I realize that there are freshwater crabs pinching my toes while I'm baptizing the guy. And, and no joke, you can ask Adam. Then I was like, my legs feel funny, and that's because there were little fish, like, sucking the skin off my legs all while trying to baptize. This is not a pleasant place to be in the water. And so he can't see the accent under the water. Remember last week um, when Naaman wants to be healed, and when Elisha says, go dip in the Jordan River seven times, he's essentially like, ew. Like, I could have stayed back in Syria. We have clean, pristine rivers there. Why would I get in the Jordan River? So this is a muddy river. And so the guy doesn't know where the axe head is at all. He probably heard the splash. He saw the direction that the axe head went, but the water was moving, and maybe the axe head had moved from where the splash erupted from the water as the axe head fell in. So the axe head is lost. It's gone. The edge, if you will, has been lost. Uh, so I ask questions when I read the Bible, and so I'm like, well, why didn't he just get in the water to look for it himself? Well, number one, the water is very murky. Number two, the bottom is filled with silt and mud. An axe head could very possibly sink below the mud. You ever, like, step into water before, and you're wearing shoes, and you find that your foot's stuck, and you're like, and you pull up, and your, your shoe gets stuck? It's a great feeling, Right? probably something like that could have happened with the axe head. Um, it also could have been a, a flood stage of the river or a rainy season. This is, not a, this is not a large river. The Jordan River, the best way to describe it is if you're driving on State Street by the Oregon State Penitentiary, the Jordan River basically is the exact same size and it looks exactly the same as Mill Creek that runs in front of the prison. How many of you would love to swim in that? It's exactly what it looks like. Uh, but this river had flood stages, and it would get very large as it would fill the plains around it with flood. And so maybe it was a flood season. Maybe the water was moving too fast. Maybe the guy couldn't swim. We don't know the answer as to why. But he didn't go to look for his axe head. He had lost it. And so he cries out to the man of God, Elisha, for help. And Elisha's response is so simple. What does he say? He just says, where did it? fall. So he takes him back to the place where he lost his edge. 
And we could try to explain scientifically all day long. We could look for reasons. Why on earth did Elisha throw the stick in the water? And here's the answer to that question. We have no idea. It makes no sense. There's no scientific explanation for this. It literally makes zero sense. Um, And it's exactly like actually a couple of chapters before when the sons of the prophet said, hey, the water is bad in Jericho. Elisha, can you fix? Can you help? Can you heal the water? And what does he do? He throws in salt and he throws in a new unused bowl. And you're like, well, that makes sense too. Now, it doesn't make any sense. We don't know why he throws the stick in. We'll probably never know. But either way, here's what I'd like you to consider. I think something important to consider is that Elisha is with the man who lost the axe. And Elisha's presence is what matters, not the stick. What matters to Elisha's servant, it matters to him. That's why in the scriptures, God says of himself, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. And so, We've gone back several times in this series to the 23rd Psalm that happens hundreds of years as David writes before. He says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. So it's Elisha's presence here that really matters more than the stick thrown into the water matters. And so Elisha, the man of God, the prophet, the mentor of this son of the prophet is willing to help this man get his edge back, get his axe back. He supports him in finding the axe head. And and one more little thought I had is I think that we can see this stick thrown in the water as a sign of Elisha's support, as a sign of his solidarity, that this man needs to find the axe head so that he can finish the work he had set out to do. And remember weeks ago, remember when we had that cloud rise up a couple weeks ago, remember that, like it was a month or two ago? Remember that servant of Elijah? It took Elijah's servant to have faith to look and to see the rain coming in order for Elijah to have faith that it would happen. Here we see the same thing, only it's reversed. Here it's not the prophet sending a servant to have faith for him. Here it actually is the servant sending the prophet to have faith for him. So Elisha, come with me. And so Elisha's faith gave this man some faith that he could indeed find the axe head, the edge that was lost. So as a side note, we don't just have faith for ourselves. We actually have faith for others as well. Remember the story of the man that was paralyzed and his friends lowered him through the roof for Jesus to heal him. And it says in scripture that Jesus saw their faith and healed him. We don't know if that man had faith, but sometimes for some reason we can actually lean on the faith of others. We need to have a solid faith for ourselves, but sometimes in deep moments of despair and darkness, we actually have to push into someone else's faith. And so when we lack faith for ourselves, others can have faith for us. We need each other. We need each other, especially when we lose something important. And so though it was Elisha who miraculously makes this axe head float, God uses Elisha to have the axe head float to the water, recognize that that's not where the story ends. It's not just the revealing of the axe head that is the end of the story, but what is it that Elisha says for the man to do? Elisha says, Pick it up. Take it up. The servant had to ultimately have faith to reach out and to grab it and to take it up and to start swinging again. Start swinging the axe again. Here it is. Pick it up. You've got to do that. How many of you have seen the movie Signs before? Uh, S-I-G-N-S. Signs. M. Night Shyamalan, the story about um, the aliens and Mel Gibson. And you've seen that movie before? There's a character in that movie that that used to be so obsessed and into baseball, but he loses his passion about baseball. I won't ruin the story for you, but essentially his passion for baseball is used to defeat the aliens at the end of the movie. And he had given up playing baseball, and his brother tells him, swing away. 
Sometimes we lose our desire, our passion, our ability to swing the axe when that's what we want to do. That's what our passion is, is to swing the axe. But we lose the axe head, and it takes someone else to show it to us. Here it is, but we've got to pick it up and start swinging again. Here's the big point. Sometimes we lose things that aren't things. Sometimes I lose things that are not things. Sometimes you lose things that are not things. Well, you say, well, pastor, what's a thing? An axe head, keys, wallet, sunglasses, water bottles. Those are just things, but sometimes you lose things that aren't things. Sometimes you lose your edge. Some of you have lost your vision, your dreams, your passion, your desire. Some of you have lost your will to live now or at times in your life. Sometimes we lose our joy. Sometimes we lose our peace. So what do you do when you're busy swinging away and that axe head flies off into the water? How do you get it back? How do you get your passion back, your vision back, your dreams back, your will to live back, your joy? So here... In the middle of the Old Testament, I actually want you to turn to the last book of the New Testament, Revelation chapter 2. Strangely, Jesus gives a solution to this problem in Revelation chapter 2. When we look at Revelation, we often think about the end times, the return of Christ, the judgment, tribulation, rapture, all of these things involving prophecy. But the first couple of chapters is actually messages to churches who were doing some good things but also struggling. And so in Revelation 2, Jesus tells the church in the city of Ephesus, that's the same church that Paul planted and wrote the letter of Ephesians to. Jesus tells the church in Ephesus through a vision to the apostle John. He said this, basically, hey, you guys are doing a lot of good stuff. I know you're doing a lot of good things, and and we can speak to the church in in the West today. We can speak to the church in America. Like, hey, you're doing a lot of good things. You you care about homeless people. You're you're giving away food or clothes, or you're, you're having worship services. You're singing. You're preaching. You're doing small groups. You're teaching kids. You guys are doing a lot of good things. But he says, I've got this one thing against you. You're doing good. However, you have forgotten your first, what is it? You forgot your first love. Uh, Literally in in context, it says you forgot the love you had at first. So Jesus is saying, you guys are doing good stuff for me, but you're not in love with me anymore. You're doing great things. You're showing some love by the things you're doing, but you're not passionate any longer about me. You're just doing it to do it. You forgot your first love. You forgot that feeling of being in love with Jesus. And so what do you do when you forget your first love? What do you do when you lose your first love? What do you do when you lose your romance in your marriage? What do you do when you lose your edge? What do you do when you lose your passion? And what do you do? when you lose your joy. All things you will lose in your life, by the way. What do you do when you've forgotten your dreams? What do you do when you've forgotten your calling? And what do you do when you have forgotten your vision? Here's something I've lost a couple of times. What do you do when you have forgotten what it feels like to be at peace? Been there before? You've lost peace, you've lost joy, you've forgotten what it was like. I don't usually like to preach steps and numbers, but we're going to do that today. I want to give you four practical ways you can get these things back. So if you're taking notes, please do. Um, The app has just the verses. It doesn't have these notes, but these notes will be on the screen. Here's the first thing you need to do if you have lost your edge. Here's the first thing you need to do if you have forgotten your edge. Number one, you have to recognize it's gone. Recognize that your passion's gone. 
Recognize that your peace is gone. Recognize that your feeling of being in love is gone. You see, the guy who lost his axe head, he had the privilege of it happening right in front of him. He had no choice but to see he lost his axe head. It flew off in front of him and into the river. But some of us don't even realize when we've lost something. Jesus had to show the Ephesian church. They didn't know they forgot their first love. It took God to point it out to them. And so if you recognize, if you're privileged enough to recognize in front of your face that you've lost something, okay, I recognize it. Clearly my wallet's lost. Clearly my keys are lost. Clearly my joy is lost. Clearly my peace is gone. Clearly I've forgotten my passion. Here's what you do. You call for help. Number two, call for help. From who? Alas, master. You call for help from God. And from godly people you can depend on. I'd like to pause our message for a second. Would you, if you could, just for the sake of taking this seriously, if you close your eyes and eliminate distraction, I want you to ask yourself a question. Pause. You can participate if you'd like or not, but... Just take a deep breath, clear your mind. I'm going to ask you this question, and I'm going to ask myself the same question. Here it is. Don't turn to your neighbor and give the answer. Just just in your heart, see if you've got answered. What have you lost? What have you lost? What have you lost? Is it your joy, your peace, your calling, your vision, your passion, your love, your romance, your will to live What have you lost? Have you lost something? What is it? And if you say, Pastor, I I literally don't have any idea. It didn't happen in front of me. I don't know if I've lost something. Well, here's what I'd like you to do now in the same pause. Ask God to show you what you've lost. So let's take a couple seconds. God, is there something I have lost that I'm not aware of? Lord, is there something I have lost something I've forgotten that I am not even aware of. Last night, I was looking for um, my AirPods, which I lost for the second time in a week. And I went to my dirty clothes and was rummaging through my pockets, and I found a car key that I didn't know was missing. And I told my wife, I found your car key. And she said, it was lost. And I said, apparently It's not anymore. So sometimes you lose things that you don't even know. Ask God, God, what have I lost? What have I lost? So recognize it, and if you can't, ask. Two, let's pause again. Ask for help. If you recognize something this morning, if you recognize something you've lost, would you pause and ask for help? You say, well, pastor, what does that look like? It looks like Alas, master, it's borrowed. God, help. I lost my passion. God, help me. I have lost my feelings for this person or this thing. God, help me. I have lost my vision, my will to live. Cry out to God for help. Maybe turn to someone, maybe even the person you came with today. Ask them for help. They'll help you. Bring other people into your search. Make a commitment to seeking with someone when you leave today. Because maybe you're asking God, God, have I lost something? God, what have I lost? And and maybe you really haven't. Maybe there's a season of your life where you're aware where everything is. But I'm telling you, you have friends and family that have lost things. And you need to make a commitment to helping them find it. And there's this awkward tension of maybe you know some people in your life that have lost some of these things. And you're like, I just don't know if I should share with them that I can recognize that they're in trouble. I'm telling you, please do. They need it. Don't be a jerk. Don't be judgmental. Don't be harsh. And they're just say like, hey, I kind of sense like you've lost your peace lately. Kind of sense like you've lost your joy, your focus. What's going on? Can I, can I help? Is that true? Am I wrong? If you love someone, it's okay to ask those kind of questions. And so Jesus gives the solution, 
In in Revelation chapter 2 of the church that forgot their first love, he gives a solution to them on what to do. And and it's found in what we've discussed today. One, you've got to recognize. Two, you've got to ask for help. And then three, Revelation 2, 4 through 5, it says, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember. Remember. Remember, therefore from where you have fallen. Repent. Repent, repent, repent. And do the things you used to do. Do the works you did at first. And it's, it's an ironic thing because the church in Ephesians were doing a lot of things. Jesus doesn't say do a lot of things. Jesus says do the things you did at first when you were in love. So the solution to losing something is remembering it repenting and doing. Remember what? Remember, therefore, from when you have fallen. And so, church, let's pause again. Where did you lose that thing? Where did your edge fall? Remember what things were like when you had joy. Remember what it felt like when you were passionate. Remember what it was like when you used to hold hands. Remember, when was the last time you remember it being like that? Where did you lose it? What happened? Elisha says, I'll go with you to the place. Where where did it happen? Let me take you with me. Here's the thing. If you start to remember these things, God will go with you to the spot you lost it. Your friend listening to you can literally go with you to the spot you lost something. And for some of you, you might need to actually go back to a real spot. I'll give you some examples. If I go to my friend and say, hey, I've lost my passion. I don't know where it is. So I've recognized it. I've asked for help. And now I want my friend to help me remember. We're processing together. Okay, What was it like when you had it? Remember what it felt like. Remember the things you did. Remember deep in your gut how that felt to be in love. Remember. Let's go back there. Let's go down memory lane. Let's open up a photo book and remember what it was like when we were so happy with our kids when they were little. Remember what it was like when we were struggling just to get by, but all we had was each other. Remember by going through memories, but some of you actually need to go back to a spot. There's been times in my life where I've just driven purposely to the house I grew up in. Not because I was curious about what it looked like, but because I needed to go back to remember. I can think of some very specific points in my life where God gave me some very specific direction and vision. One place I'm thinking of in particular, uh, a hike I was on a couple of years ago where God spoke to me so clearly and I haven't seen the thing in my life that he spoke to me yet and God is actually calling me back there and over the next couple of weeks, I'm gonna go there and just say, remember, 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 I actually have to go back to the place. Remembering is a way to float the axe head to the surface, a way of finding what was lost all over again. So what have you lost, guys? What have I lost? What have you lost? Acknowledge it. Call for help and then remember it. Don't just acknowledge, but remember what it was like. Number four, repent. So remember and repent. Why didn't do anything wrong? What do I need to repent of? Repentance doesn't necessarily mean that you've done something wrong. Repentance is acknowledging your axe head should not be lost. Repentance is acknowledging that you should not be out of love with your spouse. Repentance is acknowledging that you are not where you should be. Repentance is not being content with your edge and your vision and your passion being lost. Repentance is not being content with your relationship being where it is. Repentance is I should not have fallen. I should not have fell from this place I was at. And repentance is also thanking God for his forgiveness. It's thanking God for his grace 
to allow you to turn from whatever it is you have lost and turn toward the thing you need to pick back up again. It might be sin you need to turn from. It might be apathy. It might be contentment. But you have to repent. You have to acknowledge that this is not how it should be. You turn away from it and you decide to move forward into finding and remembering what was lost. And so you might see the axe head floating, but you've got to acknowledge it shouldn't be there in order to pick it up. You've got to acknowledge you shouldn't have got to that place. Number five, the last thing. I said there was four, but there's five things. Do do the works you did at first. That's what Jesus says. Do the works you did at first. What does that mean? That means pick the axe head up out of the water. Pick the axe back up, put it on the handle, and just start swinging again. It's kind of like riding a bike. There's things that some of you are passionate about that you have left, that you have forgotten, that you have lost, and once you start doing them again, it will feel like no time has passed. Pick the axe head up. Start swinging. Do the things you used to do. And as you start doing the things you used to do, you will find You will recapture and you will rebuild on what has been lost. What did you do when you were passionate? Do it again. What did you do when you had vision in your life? Do it again. What did you do when you had joy in your life? Do it again. What did you do when you had peace in your life? Do it again. Here's what I found out. I have found out that as I acknowledge things are lost, as I call out for help, as I remember, and as I repent, sometimes I think, oh, someone just stole it from me and it utterly disappeared. But that's not usually how we lose our edge. Usually it's little steps at a time. One day you you, you didn't kiss your husband when he got home when you always had before. One day you didn't embrace your child when she had a hard day at school. One day, you, you didn't linger to say goodbye the second time like you always had. We, we gradually fall out of these places. We gradually lose these things. And you say, what was it like when I had peace? And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I used to get up in the morning and read the Word. And I don't do that anymore. I used to pray with my daughter, and I don't do that anymore. I used to pray with my wife, and I don't do that anymore. I used to serve in this nonprofit organization back when I had peace, and I don't do that anymore. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, maybe that thing didn't get lost. Maybe I did. Maybe I'm the one that's lost because I wandered away. So date your spouse again. Hold hands again. Kiss again. Make love again. Talk again. And usually you fall in love again. Start serving again. Start giving again. Start investing again. Start connecting again. Start smiling again. Start chasing God again. Say, Pastor, should I fake it until I make it? No. But you should do it until you feel it. Uh, there's, I do this horrible horrible um, spinning class um, on a bike I have at home, and the trainer on the video, he's like, I want you to smile for these next three minutes while you're giving it all you got. And you're like, the last thing in the world I want to do is smile. And you're just like, <laughs> and you're just so ticked off at him. Why is he telling me to smile? Why is he, he has no right to tell me. And then like by three minutes, you're like, I'm feeling pretty happy. I'm feeling pretty good. I, w- I want to smile more. So start doing these things again. Look for ways to do these things again. Look for ways to get back involved again. Look for ways to get your feet wet again. Then dive in again. So we all lose things that aren't things. And when you lose your edge, acknowledge Have you lost something? What is it, God? What have I lost? Remember what it was like because God's not through with you. 
if God gave you vision and if you think you've lost it, he actually wants to complete the work he started. Repent. This isn't where I should be. This is not where I should be. I need to turn away from this place, and I need to turn towards that thing again. Do what you did at first. Get your edge back. Swing away. Swing that axe. You say, Pastor, if I do it, I'm afraid I'll lose it again. Uh, I'll give you a spoiler alert. You will. But when you do, you start steps one through five all over again. Sometimes these things are like roller coasters. Passion, vision, joy, peace, will to live, being in love, callings on our life, purpose. They kind of go up and down. There's peaks and valleys. But acknowledge that you lose it when you do. Remember what it was like when you had it. Repent and do what you did at first. Would you guys bow your heads? And um, Aubrey, if you could come up with your team and close us out in a song. I don't just want to give a motivational message today about, like, you know, go out and get it, guys. Because the greatest thing that could be lost is our relationship with God. The greatest thing that could be lost is us. And that's the analogy that God gives, Jesus himself gives several times throughout the Gospels about people that don't know God, people that are not in relationship with Jesus, people that have not been forgiven of their sins, people that don't have everlasting life with God. He calls them lost, lost sheep, lost sons, lost coins. And though you may feel lost and far from God, God knows exactly where you are. And you're really not that far from him. The greatest distance you ever are from God is just the distance of your head turning around. Because if you turn around, he's there. In fact, we just sang a song about that. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down. It fights till I'm found. He leaves the 99 to find me, the one who was lost. I don't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. Still, he gives himself away. And that's exactly what he did when we were lost from him. He lived for us a perfect life we couldn't live in our place, pleasing God when we could not. He died for us the death that we deserve to die on a cross, taking all the punishment, all the wrath, from his Father for my sins on himself. And death couldn't hold him down. He rose from the grave. He forever defeated Satan, sin, hell, and death through his life, death, and resurrection. And he gives us his life. He gives us the power of his resurrection. He gives us relationship and love and acceptance and purpose and joy and even everlasting life. He fills us with his spirit. He does that for us for free. Couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. That's called grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. I deserve hell apart from God. God gives me his son, and I don't deserve him. But because of his love, he gives himself away. So what do you do when someone, when the God of the universe, the creator of all things, who made you, who formed you in your mother's womb, who knit you together, who fearfully and wonderfully made you, even when you turned against him, what do you do when someone like him comes to rescue and find and save you and give you grace? The Bible says you trust him. You trust him. You don't work it off. That's why Jesus said, hey, Ephesians, you're doing a lot of great stuff. Way to go. You guys are going all go, going for it. But it's the relationship that's important. It's the trust that's important. It's the faith that's important. So do good stuff, but do what you did at first. And they're probably thinking, what did we do at first? He was like, oh, you were in shock and awe of my grace. You were, you were just loving on me, spending time with me. You were passionate about me, and now you're just passionate about stuff. 
And that stuff doesn't mean anything if it's not for, for this relationship thing. So if you'd like to step into the grace of God, receive the gift of the grace of God, have your sins forgiven, a relationship with God, the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you, if you want to follow the creator of the universe and live for eternity with him, following him and his will for your life, the Bible says this, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It is a gift of God so that no one may boast. It says we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. God's calling you to belong to him. He's got great things in store for you. But it's by grace he saves you through faith. You've got to trust him. You've got to trust in him, church. That's why Paul said, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So I'd encourage you today, if you are lost, put your faith in Christ. If you are lost, put your faith in Christ. Cry out to him, help, I'm lost, save me. I want you, Jesus. I give you my life, Jesus, because you gave me yours. If you say, yes, pastor, I've done that. I'm following Christ. I'm serving Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I'm a believer. Whatever I want to call it, that's what I am. But I have a feeling we've all lost something, and maybe we've got something lost right now. And Scripture says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So there might be some unfinished trees that are yet to be chopped down. There might be some dormitories for the sons of the prophets that have yet to be built. But the only way those things are going to happen is if you acknowledge your axe head is gone. If you call out for help. If you remember where it is. If you acknowledge it shouldn't be there. And you pick it up and start swinging again. And so church, would you please find what's missing? Would you pick back up what you've forgotten? And for some of you, it's, it's just passion again. It's joy. And the world wants nothing more than to steal your joy and your passion. And the enemy wants nothing more than to replace that with fear. But I'm here to tell you, as we started the service today, perfect love, the perfect love of God cast out fear. We have to choose faith, and we have to turn away from fear and turn towards love. So God, we submit ourselves to you. We put our trust in you. Thank you, Jesus, for your life, death, and resurrection. We put faith in this grace you give. Help us to walk according to your ways and your word and your will. God, if we ever get distracted by religion or doing things or earning things, would you please remind us of the love we had at first? God, if we have forgotten that love, if we've lost our passion, our vision, our dreams, our romance, whatever it is, our will to live, our peace, Jesus, remind us. We're crying for help. Help us remember. Lead us to repentance. Draw us to pick up the axe again. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys stand?